we have to tell the world that we contributed to the development of the Hudson Bay Company. If it wasn't for our people, I don't think the Hudson Bay would have been that successful. Canada's economy was the fur trade back then. We helped build Canada. That's Charles Hester of the Cree Nation of Wiscoganish on James Bay, home of the first ever Hudson's Bay Company trading post. We travel to the roots of the HBC as it turns 350 years old on this episode of Explore, a Canadian Geographic podcast. I think right now we're enjoying very much looking back at the Earth, and it's just a fantastic experience, and I just can't wait to get back and start telling people. We left Simpson about June 10th with a fur brigade consisting of a number of York boats, each manned by 10 voyageurs. For us, Inuit, it means that Inuit oral history is very strong. Every little over every inch of the country that could be, we're hoping that he would fire at us. Oh, I guess 165 or so. Welcome back to Explore, a Canadian Geographic podcast. I'm your host, David McGuffin. Today, we're going on the first of a four-part journey into the history of Canada, seen through the prism of the Hudson's Bay Company. This British fur trading empire came into being 350 years ago, on May 2nd, 1670, when King Charles II of England granted a group of merchants a trading monopoly that included the entire watershed of the Hudson's Bay, much of what is now northern Canada. This despite the fact that this was already the well-established territory of indigenous nations going back thousands of years prior. But before we get started on this journey, we want to thank HBC Heritage for its support in making this series possible and the Cree Outfitting and Tourism Association for supporting this episode. It's Bay Day. Today, for most Canadians, the Hudson's Bay Company means this. Don't miss it. Bay Day's exploding with savings now. Canada's biggest department store chain with retail holdings that stretch into the United States and Europe. But for most of its long history, the HBC was a fur trading empire that administered a massive area of northern North America, 8 million square kilometres, not much smaller than the size of Canada today. Our Hudson's Bay Company journey begins on a frigid March day. I went to the site where the company itself really began, along the banks of the Rupert River on James Bay in the Cree Nation of Wiscoganish, once known as Fort Rupert. I traveled up there before the coronavirus lockdown began. Here's Charles Hester, the town historian. This is the actual first fort that was built. They built a house on that side, but when they came back to build the fort, they built, they built it here. And uh, that fort was then moved because it had a better view of who's coming in the bay. Okay. And like I said, there was battles here. To who's going to control the fort between the French and the English? And military-wise, that was a better position because you were, you were able to see who's coming and you were able to defend yourself. They came for furs, trading for furs, fighting over furs, beaver furs in particular, which were plentiful here. And we'll hear more from Charles Hester on that history in just a bit. I've come up here to look at the impact of this massive fur trading monopoly from the perspective of this Cree nation. Stacy Bear is showing me around town in her pickup truck. Yeah. 
driving windswept, snow-covered streets lined with huge snowbanks. She runs cultural programs for the local band council. It's a prosperous-looking northern community, just over 2,000 people, almost entirely Cree. The streets are lined with small but new single-family homes, modern government offices, athletic and cultural facilities. The old Hudson's Bay Company store, mostly run by Scottish employees for centuries, is still here. It's now called the Northern Store. So is the HBC Factor's old wooden house, now abandoned. The old HBC Fort Rupert is long gone, but there are plans to rebuild it. Today, Stacy Bear is delivering meals to elders, moose stew and fried fish. I feel sorry for elders because they can't eat traditional food regularly. Some of them don't have anybody to hunt for them or cook for them or stuff like that. Many who we visit on this day worked trap lines and sold furs to the HBC in their youth. Oliver Kapasheset is 92 years old. He remembers his father selling furs to the HBC factor Jim Watt back in the 1930s. He says he enjoyed his life trapping and hunting out on the land for months at a time, and he was happy with the company because they took his furs and they gave him money. Just outside of town, we also visit the log cabin of Sanders and Flory Wishi, nestled in a black spruce forest. When we arrive, the Cree couple in their 70s are busy making caribou strips, webbing for the beautiful handmade wooden snowshoes which they make and sell. Well, I've been uh, trap line here for uh, around over 50 years. 50 years? Yeah. Sanders takes a break to show me the furs he's trapped this year, hanging from beams on the roof stacked high on tables. Link, yeah, link. This one is Otter. Otter. This is Martin. These are muskrats. Mona beaver must be around 35. Yeah. beaver, wow. Yeah. But he's one of the few remaining trappers left in this community. A long time ago, mm-hmm. the hunters used to have a large, very large fur. Yeah. But now, all trappers are quit. They don't want to trap much because, because the very low, low price for everything. The price of the furs went down and the price of the gas went up, so they don't really go up. Fur prices were driven down starting in the 1980s by the anti-fur movement and the trend in fashion away from wearing fur. Because of that, for most people in Wiscoganish, including the offspring of Sanders and Flory, trapping is now more of a hobby, something to keep them connected to their history and to the land. Most here now work in local government, healthcare, education. There is a degree of prosperity here now, thanks to the Cree Nation's successful legal fight with the Quebec government in the 1970s over the massive James Bay hydroelectric project nearby. The modern land claims agreement they negotiated soon after included increased local autonomy, as well as jobs, training and investment. About a decade or so after that, the Hudson's Bay Company sold off its trading post here and throughout most of northern Canada, due to declining fur sales and to focus on bigger retail markets down south. But back in 1668, when two English ships sailed into this bay, led by British-backed explorers Radisson de Crossier, the fur trade was central to life here. And it was about to become even more so. To learn more about that history, 
I sat down with Charles Hester, culture director of the Cree Nation of Wiscogonish and the unofficial town historian. They embarked on a journey. I think it was June 4th that they left from uh, the other side of the pond. Yeah. And they arrived in James Bay and, and September 29, 1668 was the date they, they actually landed in Wiscogonish. And they, they built the fort, they spent uh, the winter here and started trading with, uh, with our people. And uh, on the following year, 1669, they went back with uh, all the fur that they traded. And people were so impressed with the quality of the fur. And at that, and at, and at that time, uh, uh, in England, they, was, they were making hats, these beaver, beaver felt hats. And it was a luxurious item. And uh, only the rich were able to, to afford this, this type of hat. So they made a, a good amount of money. Yeah. And then that's when they discussed uh, uh, the possibility of, uh, of establishing a company. And uh, they, they returned uh, the following year, 1670. And uh, I think that's, that's how a Hudson Bay Company was born. And when they came in here, the, there was a document that they signed with our people. Oh, really? Yeah. The James Bay Northern Quebec Agreement is not the first document that our people has signed with uh, the Europeans. Right. It was... Um, I should just say that's the, that's the modern agreement that you yeah, guys came yeah, up that's with. that's the modern agreement. But there was a League of Friendship that was signed. It was called a League of Friendship. And it was just... Uh, I guess they realized that they, they need the, our people in order to, to make their trade work. Because when they came in, it was uh, our people that recommended th that they establish here on the river because this was a major trading route it goes all through the all the creek communities, all the way up to uh, Labrador. Yeah, so this is the Rupert River, which yeah. is pretty long. Yeah. yeah. So there was a trade route that was already established, and it's the same thing from the, to the south side with the, the Mohawks and the Algonquin Nation. And so when Hudson Bay, or Company of Ventures, when they came in, all they had to do was plug themselves into the, uh, yeah. the trade route. So everything was already established, and they employed a few of our people, and... And that's how uh, they didn't have to establish anything themselves. It was already there for them. They, all they had to do was plug in and yeah, away they in. went. Yeah. And what was the early relationship like in terms of, you know, balance of power or just relations? And The Cree at that time, maybe a little bit later in the 1700s, they were, they were negotiating because there was a French, Révillon uh, Frère, and there was also... Uh, Albanel that was in the area and the Hudson Bay Company. Mm -hmm. And I read the passage somewhere in the book. The Crees were already going for uh, where, where they're going to get the best price. Yeah. Yeah, because uh, there was a there was an entry in the, in the journal that said that the Crees are going to trade with Albanel because he's offering more than what we can offer. So, right. Uh, yeah, that entrepreneurial spirit, yeah, it was already there. and They knew they had a hot product. Yeah. And sometimes when, when people talked to me and said, uh, how long, how, why are the Crees so uh, into business? Why are they uh, setting themselves up for business and they're doing all, they're doing great and they're, and I tell them, well, well we've been doing uh, business with uh, our European settlers since uh, for 350 years now. So yeah. it's, <laughs> it's not, it's not something that's new to the Cree. Yeah, and uh, and maybe that's the reason why we're like. Yeah, but you knew you knew how to play one off another right away. You're like, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> which is which is smart. You had leverage. Um, yeah. So tell me about that first document that you mentioned, the the friendship mm -hmm. agreement. It just outlines the relationship between the uh, 
the Cree people and the and the company of, of ventures. And uh, in later on, a few years, we we found passages uh, like early in the 1700s that that showed that the, the Hudson Bay Company really did value the, their the man that they were employing. They, they were saying that make sure that they get paid what they deserve, makes it they're, they're they're treated right. Because I guess they realized that the, without them, their their trade or their uh, their business wouldn't as be as successful. Because mm -hmm. you need the people that know the routes, you need the people that know the people, and uh, the trade route was uh, at the had Charlton Island. That's where the big ships would dock. Right. So it's just out in the bay. Here. Out in the bay, about seventy-five kilometers, I think. Yeah. And the smaller ships would go into the river, mm -hmm. and then they would have a, a smaller warehouse here in the community, and they they would employ the men to take the uh, flour, tools, uh, sugar, whatever was that was there to be traded. They they took that up the river, usually with one Hudson Bay uh, employee. And they made the trades in Nemeska, Nichigan, Mississippi, Waswampi. And on the way back, they would bring all the fur. And the fur would be packed and, and sent to uh, Charlton Island and then eventually to London. Right. So that, that was the, the trade route. Right. So, yeah. And so the Europeans, I mean, there's no way they could have done it without the Cree up here. I mean, there's no, there's no way they could have done it without the Cree. Right. And I think uh, they realized that. Yeah. And that's why... Uh, and that's why the, the legal friendship and another documents that I found that the, that uh, indicate that they they truly valued the contribution that our people made. Right. Yeah. So, what was the Cree community here then? So they there wouldn't there was never a permanent settlement here, but no. it would have been a seasonal. This was a, a summer gathering spot. People would come here. It was called Ganiokashit, which means a place where there was a sandbar, and apparently. There was a good there was a good fishing here during the summertime. Well, there still is, but uh, that's where all the families, all the clans, would come together during the summer, do some fishing, stock up their winter supply, and there would be weddings. So that that was a uh, was Skagnish back then. It was just a, a summer gathering spot. Mm -hmm. When the the first building was built and people started to say to stay in the uh, in the community more permanently. Mm -hmm. uh, so obviously the uh, Hudson Bay Company when they first came in. They hired a few people here to, to maintain their camp and collect firewood and do the hunting for them. And so that's that's how people started staying uh, year round in, in, uh, in this community. Yeah. I mean, what would have been like that first winter in that fort for those Europeans? Because they probably had no idea what they were getting into, right? Well, the Grossi and Radisson were, were, they, were all, they were explorers. Like, yeah. They've done that before, but further south. Yeah. I, I think it, they would have found the winter a bit harsh. Yeah, it's cold. Yeah, but like I said, they had people. They employed people to to help them out. So, mm -hmm. and, and and what happened the following year was uh, the the people would come and build their their teepees just beside the fort. Right. Yeah. So that became and, the gathering. Uh, and only the chief. Uh, at one point, it was open. The fort was open to anybody. Anybody can go in. Yeah. But I, uh, at one point, something happened in the fort, and they 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 banned the, the other uh, people. Only the chief and his family was allowed to to go in and negotiate, I guess. Or yeah. In terms of being a permanent sort of settlement here, when did, when did that really start to happen? In terms of the Cree community living here year round. Mm -hmm. Well, in in the uh, 
80s when I was growing up. The community would still, uh, well, maybe early, late 70s. In the summertime, the community would be still be full. But in the wintertime, people, a lot of people would leave. Yeah, trap lines. Like, like over half of the population, I, I'd say, that were gone and gone to their trap lines and, and their traditional hunting areas. And uh, they'd come back only in May or June when the, the rivers and the lakes thawed out. And, uh, and the ch I was part, I'm, I'm 48 years old. Yeah. And I was part of the fur trade that was established by Hudson Bay. Tell me. When I was 11, 12 years old, I, uh, I, I went out with my parents, my grandparents, and I spent the winter with them out in the trap line. That year I trapped uh, six Martin. Yeah. Yeah. That I was, they, I didn't have a snow machine, so I just went by foot where, where near the camp. That's where they told me, this is your territory. We're, we're going to go further. So whatever you trap here, it's, it's yours to keep. So I, went, I managed to trap uh, six Martin. They paid good for fur back then. Right. The prices were good. Yeah. And I think I had over about $300. Wow. That was my first paycheck ever. It was from the Hudson Bay Company. That's amazing. So, so that's so that's something that was established 350 years ago. And and as a 48-year-old man here in Muskegonish, I, I was still part of it. You're part of that history. So when when did that actual, the, the HBC post shut down then? I think it was in uh, 1987. It didn't really shut down. It was just uh, sold to uh, North, the Northwest Company. Right, right. And, uh, Which is the northern store. And, store, and yeah. it's still there today. Yeah. And I think uh, just... Two three years ago, they were still accepting uh, the fur from the trappers. As recently as that, yeah, yeah. Just in terms of how the community looks back at the Hudson's Bay period, I mean, the factor was obviously a person of mm -hmm. power in this community. Yeah. I mean, how is that relationship if you look back through the years? Well, if if you go way back, the the people want the Hudson Bay Company to be here because there was a point where the Hudson Bay Company closed their shop here in Oskaganish. I think for 70 or 76 years, if I'm not mistaken. But the people begged them to, to come back and do the, uh, establish the, uh, the trading post again. And it was the people that requested. And if you look at back in, back uh, like eight, 1700s, 1800s, even the 1900s, the people uh, revered the, the Hudson Bay Company. As they were there to help. When I, even today, when I talk to the elders, the elder gen, older generation, they, have, they seem to have more respect for the Hudson Bay Company. Well, they call them the company. Right, yeah. right. And uh, they said that there was an elder that told me that during the hard times, they would, they would give us credit. Like uh, the hunting and fishing and trapping it doesn't always, like, the animals are not always around. Right. There were times, especially in the 40s and uh, 30s, late 30s and 40s where times were hard. And some elders have told me that, that at that time, the Hudson Bay Company really pitched in and really helped us out. And then there's the younger generation. Some of them felt that, some of them asked me, why are we celebrating this? This is con, how do you say that word? Colonization. Colonization, yeah. How, why are we celebrating this? And uh, my response have always been that uh, we're celebrating the fact that it's been 350 years since contact and we're still here. We're still in control of our, our pretty much of our territory. We're still practicing our traditions. We're still speaking our language. And, and I told them that's, that's the reason why we're celebrating. And, uh, and of course, we, we have to tell the world that we contributed to the development of the Hudson Bay Company. 
Right? Right. If it wasn't for our people, I don't think the Hudson Bay would have been that successful. No. And uh, with, then it became uh, Rupert's Land, which eventually became Canada. Right. So if you look at it, we contributed to the development of Canada. Yeah. Canada's economy was the, the fur trade back then. And uh, we helped build Canada. That's what I tell people, like with, with our with our ancestors and helping out with the uh, yeah. Hudson Bay Company and the fur trade. And I guess the other question, I mean, this community too, I mean, you would have had a lot of Scottish guys here. So there, there was intermingling between the communities? Yes. I, I mean, how much, how much Scottish heritage do you have, for instance, or did you know? My uh, great-grandmother was uh, half Scottish and half uh, Cree. Yeah. Her name was Alice Ross. Yeah. And I did get the research to find out where the Rosses uh, originated from. Where are they from? Uh, well, they're from Scotland, obviously. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> do, do you know, like Orkney? Because they all yeah, come from Orkney, Orkney, right? Many of the people came from uh, Orkney Islands. Yeah. Because uh, uh, the Hudson Bay Company wanted people that are built for the weather. Yeah. And I guess Orkney is, almost has the same type of weather as, as oh, yeah. we do here. Yeah. And uh, they, they recruited most of their people from there. Yeah. But uh, there's a lot of people that are like that. Like we have... Uh, we have people that uh, that have Scottish ancestry, and the uh, interesting thing is, uh, I I was reading uh, the Hudson Bay Company were, knew that the guys that coming over would, would get, were sometimes would sometimes get lonely, and sometimes they would take a wife from uh, the Queen Nation. Right. Yeah. And uh, there was their policy that the family and the kids return to. Uh, wherever the, the, the guy came from, if it was Scotland, and he, he stayed here in the community for a few years, or mm-hmm. any other, uh, other uh, Hudson Bay post. Mm-hmm. And if he happened to marry an, uh, an Aboriginal woman, they would go back with him and the family. Wow. With him too. Uh, but they found out that the uh, the kids and the uh, the wife were not really happy on the, yeah, in the Scotland. other side of the pond. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they, uh, they established... Uh, what, what I would call the first uh, child support child support payments because mm-hmm. it, it's documented in the Hudson Bay uh, that if if a, a worker would come from overseas yeah. and have children here yeah. his pay would be some part of his pay would be deducted and the money given to the, the kids here in, huh. in the in the creation or in the Hudson Bay post so I think it was the first form of uh, child support. That's and fascinating. It, and it was a Hudson Bay company that, that did that. A lot of the, uh, I guess the families that were created, uh, the, the children ended up working for the company. Right. Like, like the Métis, uh, half and half. Yeah. 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 But uh, I came upon that. I found that very interesting. Yeah. 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 And that kind of, because uh, there was there were some people that were saying that uh, Hudson Bay robbed us as a big bad company and, yeah, but when you do the research, when you find out, hey, they valued their workers. They they knew that they couldn't do it without them, and they took care of the kids that resulted from these relationships between uh, their, their workers and and Cree women. Mm-hmm. So it kind of changes your perspective on the company. Yeah. But, the argument you hear though is that I mean there was a traditional communal Cree way of life, and yeah. then these guys showed up and dropped capitalism on top of it, and mm-hmm. did that not screw things up? Yeah, I think so. I think some of them, uh, some of the impacts are, uh, like, we still feel that today. Like, uh, traditionally, when you went out and, and got a moose, 
you were you shared your kill with the elders or you shared your kill with the, 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 the widows the people that can't hunt for themselves anymore and at, at no cost you give it to them for free but now everything has a cost right like when you if you go out and get a moose yeah uh, you have to pay your gas you have to pay your skidoos you have to pay your, your boat your transportation and yeah yeah so everything there was a dollar value placed on everything and I think that that changed Swiss society whether it's for the good or for the bad that's I guess it depends on some families like I said that's that's where the business savvy of the Queen nation came from what personally got you interested in the history side of this well, I guess it was hearing the stories from my uh, from my grandfather. My grandfather uh, passed away uh, about ten years ago now, and he used to tell me stories about this, the company and what they did. There was just one story that he told me about uh, the governor. The governor came into town. They had the Hudson Bay governor, Cooper. And he visited the community. He landed on a plane. Said, "There's a fight." That was the first time some of our people ever saw a plane. Wow. Or, uh, and some of them got really, really afraid and got really scared. And they thought the world was going to end. Yeah. <laughs> but he said he was seven years old at that time. And he, he's just one thing I remember, he said, is the 21 gun salute. Oh, wow. Yeah. They were standing on the dock with their guns. And when, they came, when the governor came off, they, they fired a shot. He said, I remember that. There was a dock. So yeah. I was playing under there in the sand. Yeah. You know, when I went to uh, the Hudson Bay archives and some of the pictures I saw, yeah, I happened to see uh, the 21 gun salute that my grandfather told me about as a kid. That photo? Yeah, the photo. First thing I checked was under the pier to see if my grandfather was there he, as a kid, but I didn't see him. You couldn't see him. He was yeah. tucked away. Yeah. yeah. And the other thing is that some of my ancestries came from Scotland, like, like the Ross family. Yeah. So that got me interested too. Like I was interested in reading the archives and where these people came from. And and once once you go into the history, yeah, and you want to learn more. And eventually, people started asking me questions, and and I'd say, oh, I don't know, but I'll find out. Yeah. So I had to do the research. Yeah. I didn't. Uh, I'm not a, like I said. I'm not a history professor. I didn't take any history courses, but. It's it's something personal. It's something that that uh, that I want to know about. So and I, and I take the time to to read the books and right. and do the trips to the Hudson Bay archives and, and visit the uh, the Nonsuch. The, there's a replica in the in the, the museum. museum there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So we had a chance to go see that and yeah and uh, just being on the ship and takes you back to sixteen sixty eight and see what 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 a uh, my ancestors would have felt when they saw the ship coming down. At that time, they'd already seen ships like James Bay, James. Uh, oh, because Henry Hudson was Henry there. Henry Hudson he was here in 1610, 1611. And if we look out in the bay, you probably see where he, he camped out. And the interesting thing is my grandfather once told me that he saw an, uh, a monument mm -hmm. built of rocks yeah. in his trap line. Yeah. And that's the area where... Uh, Hudson wintered in 1610, 1611. Oh, no way. Yeah. And I got a feeling that it's, it's, he might have found stumbled on the actual spot. Yeah. yeah. His, his pile of stones, his yeah. cairn. Yeah. Yeah. And I know uh, some, some of his men passed away, I think. Yeah. During the, the, the harsh winter. Yeah. yeah. 
In terms of like the, the, the Scottish traditions and that, I mean, does, are there elements of that still in this community? Like I'm thinking music yeah. or food or... Yeah, like the fiddle dancing. The, the fiddle dancing and the jigging, that, that came from uh, Scotland. We've, uh, during the 350th anniversary, we invited people from, from Scotland. Dr. Wilkins was here. Yeah. And we did a comparison to... Uh, He's like a musicologist yeah, or something, yeah. yeah. We did a comparison to the style in Scotland that's there today yeah. and the style that we do right now. They're very similar. Like the two musicians were able to play the songs. Yeah, together. They have different styles. Yeah. Yeah, the songs that were played back in the 1700s, uh, uh, they're still played here today. Yeah. Like, like they're still... But the dancing is a bit different. Uh, we, we've taken up the tempo a bit here in the Cree Nation. You speeded bit, it up? Yeah, it's yeah. a bit faster than the, what the, the people from Scotland came in. And, but the similarities are still there. The, the songs are, are still there. And uh, the people enjoy it. And uh, I mean, just so overall, I mean, what's your feeling about what the history of the Hudson's Bay means to this community? For me, after doing all that research, I think it, it was positive. And, and I think it's still, uh, even though the fur trade is, is gone, and well, it's not really gone, but it's not as right. big as I used to be. Like we, can, we can still use that, that history that we had here, like, uh, like the fort, the French, the English, there was battles here between French and English. If you look out in the river there, if you go for a scuba dive, you'll be able to retrieve some cannonballs. Yeah, great. Because, yeah, because that's, there was battles here to, to control the post. Yeah. And uh, if we can somehow take that history and develop it and turn it into a, an opportunity for tourists to come in and see where Hudson Bay started and see... Uh, if we do a replica of some of the installations even, mm -hmm. and I think that's a product that, that we can sell. Yeah. You can combine, you, you basically offer a product where people can, can go through history. Like uh, you come in, pre-contact, and then with the Hudson Bay Company and all the other companies that came here, and you take them right through the James Bay and Quebec Agreement and right through today. You look at the community now and it seems it's in good shape. And I'm wondering how much of that do you think has to do with the fact that you had this sort of more balanced relationship with the European at contact, you know? Like there was more of a balance than there is, I think, further south. Mm -hmm. Well, I, I think the, the important aspect of that is uh, the balance of power. Like the Cree are still, we're still pretty much in control of our territory. We are in control. We make our own decisions. We're autonomous. And, and obviously, if you're going to make a decision that could affect your community, you, you try to make the best decision possible. And, and having that power to do that is, is what helps us. That's what sets us apart from the other communities or other nations uh, across Canada. Well, listen, thank you so much for your time and just uh, letting me tap into this wealth of knowledge you have about the Skaganish and the Hudson's Bay Company. It's been a real pleasure meeting you. It's been a pleasure meeting you too. Before we wrap up this episode, please take a minute to step outside with Charles and me again into minus 20 degree weather for a quick lesson on why fur clothing is still popular in Canada's north, even if it's gone out of fashion elsewhere. 
I just have to say, uh, I mean, you've got ancestors that work for the Hudson's Bay Company. You've got ancestors that were Krieg, trappers. Uh, none of them had Gore-Tex back then, and it's like minus 20 with the wind chill right now. How do you think those guys survived? I should have brought my, uh, my gloves, my traditional gloves. Well, the, the traditional clothing back then was warm, very warm. It was, it was better than what we have right now. It was better than Gore-Tex. They used seal skin and uh, all kinds of animal fur to keep themselves warm. There's a story that goes uh, a long time ago. There, were, there was uh, some Cree out in the bay. They were fishing and they saw a ship coming out in the, out in, out in the bay and, they, and the ship stopped when they saw them. So they said a couple of guys from the camp said, okay, we're gonna go see. So they took a canoe and they paddled to the ship and they boarded the ship. And when they came back, they said they all came back with uh, European clothes. The, they collected all the, yeah. the traditional clothing they were wearing. They traded their clothes, I guess, basically. Yeah. And uh, the elder said, and those two people that traded their clothes, they almost froze to death during the winter time, he said. <laughs> that was Charles Hester, culture director for the James Bay Cree Nation of Wiscoganish. That's it for this episode of Explore, a Canadian Geographic podcast. Thanks so much to our hosts in Wiscoganish and the Cree Outfitting and Tourism Association. To learn more about visiting this beautiful part of the world, go to creetourism.ca. And a big thank you as well to HBC Heritage, the history team at the Hudson's Bay Company, for sponsoring this series. You can dive into their rich collection of HBC history at hbcheritage.ca. And be sure to check back with us in two weeks' time for our next episode marking the 350th anniversary of the Hudson's Bay Company. We'll talk to Adam Schultz, Royal Canadian Geographical Society Explorer-in-Residence, about the incredible journeys taken by early HBC explorers. Please be sure to subscribe to this podcast so you don't miss any future episodes. If you enjoyed it, please tell your friends about us on social media, give us a five-star rating, or even write a nice review. So... Until we explore again, I'm David McGuffin. I think right now we're enjoying very much looking back at the Earth, and it's just a, a fantastic experience, and I just can't wait to get back and start telling people. We left Simpson about June 10th with the fur brigade, consisting of a number of yacht boats, each manned by 10 voyageurs. For us, Inuit, it means that Inuit or history is very strong. And we flew low over every inch of the country that it could be. We were hoping that he would fire at us. Oh, I guess Want even more great Canadian Geographic content? Visit cangeo.ca forward slash subscribe to order Canadian Geographic magazine. A subscription gets you six issues of the magazine each year with stories that will entertain, surprise, and educate you about the remarkable Canadian landscape, wildlife, and people. Subscribe today at cangeo.ca forward slash subscribe. <laughs>